Latest episode of Fratello on Air. I'm Mike Stockton coming to you from Frankfurt, Germany. And I'm Balash Renzi coming to you from Karlsruhe, Germany. Balash, how are you? Mike, what's up, man? I'm good. I'm, I mean, well, you know, as as good as one can be. Uh, same situation every day, every week. Other than that, it's snowing. It's below zero now. Um, so, you know. <laughs> Not much, to, not much to say. My hair is growing. I couldn't go to my barber because since Monday, uh, Germany uh, closed all barber shops and hairdressers. At least, I'm um, maybe not Germany, but at least for Baden-Württemberg. And guess what? My appointment when my appointment was scheduled Tuesday. Oh, so I yeah, I look like uh, you know, you look like kind of, I wouldn't say. You, you look yeah, like I, I talked to a friend of mine, and and I wouldn't say caveman, but he said. <laughs> You look like a Canadian in the second round of the playoffs. So. <laughs> That's why I look hockey like hair. a Canadian. Nice. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Hockey hair and hockey beard. What's up with you guys? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that far from you, and it's, it's no different here in the state of Hessen. It's, uh, it's also locked down and, well, snowing here as well. And I don't know, man, it's, it's really... I think we're we're facing this for a while until this vaccine really rolls out, and I know we're all looking forward to at least having the opportunity to to choose whether you want to do that or not. And it's it's tough because the weather's not great and it gets dark early. I think um, you know it's it's yeah one day at a time, and I'm thankful that mm-hmm. um, yeah we we've got our our Corona bubble of friends who. You know, we see them one at a time as per the rule, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, trying to look forward and, you know, it's a new year. So I think, um, by and large, you know, more good to look forward to here. And I think in, in our watch world, at least we've already seen some activity, um, are already in the first couple of weeks. So that that's kind of fun. That that provides a bit of a bit of a welcome distraction. And yeah, I think um hopefully hopefully things continue to move forward in a in a more positive way and we can all see each other again and and hopefully join in some cool events uh later in the year. I guess springtime or something like that. So yeah absolutely. I mean as far as I I hear in at least hearing in Baden-Württemberg or in, in Karlsruhe, they talk take, uh, talking about um, prolonging the lockdown until Easter, which mm. which would be yeah, that would be a mess. So I really hope that you're right, and I really hope that everything is moving towards you know the vaccine, and and hopefully around March or April, uh, things are st- at least start to get better. But yeah, yeah. let's hope. Yeah, I think, you know, as one of my friends says, uh, control the controllables. And clearly, uh, we don't we don't have any say on all that. But sure, if you listen to those those rumors of of continuing these things for quite a long time, <laughs> it's a lot to take in if you really sit down and think about it. So I think oh, it's, yeah. it's figuring out how to 
how to uh, make yourself busy with other things. And, you know, like I said, at least the, the hobbies we're into are continuing to release news. There's always some stuff to read about, to write about. And I think that, that that's providing a welcome distraction for me as well as, yeah, all the other family activities and things like that. But it, it's, um, yeah, looking forward, True. right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, we've got, I think, a really exciting show here today. We're going to talk a bit about some news, um, and then we're going to uh, we're going to roll into our favorite vintage chronographs and and some that that are on our list. And um, I, I think this is a cool thing because both you and I really love vintage chronographs. This is really I, I'm I don't want to speak for you, but I think it's probably our favorite subgenre of watches and no absolutely yeah and therefore i think we're we're pretty passionate and and have some have some pretty cool picks uh, but kicking things off here the uh the first time we're actually sitting down in 2021 we're doing it on a sunday and you're actually going to hear it same day um if if the editing goes well and why don't you kick us off with your hangelenk controller controller right so I guess it's a coincidence why I, I chose this watch. I never thought about it. Um, never thought about the topic when I chose the watch. I'm wearing a vintage Seiko 6139-7070. So um, you have a 6139 or maybe even more, but not this one, do you? No. I, I've probably 70, got, 70. I think I've got four or five different 6139s, but I do not have the 7070. Right. You have the Pogue and things like that. Right, so f this is, um, f at least, you know, to me, this is a, a very simple and very classy chronograph. It came on a bracelet, which I quite like, but I see it often without the bracelet on leather strap, and it just, it almost has this cushion shape, what is mm, the Japanese version of a cushion shape case, because 6139 came out in 1969, right? This is, we will talk about this, I guess, later on, at least in one of my uh, picks, we have to mention this, so... It's like late 60s um, or very early 70s chronograph design where it basically the watch looks like a, a simple time-only watch with a sub-second or a sub-continuous uh, second at the 6 o'clock position. And it's a uh, day date. And then you have a chronograph second hand, obviously, at the 12 o'clock position. And then the, the, the counter, the 30-minute counter is at the 6. So you, there's no uh, running seconds. You have two pushers and you have a hidden crown. And what I quite like about this watch, I think this is the fact with every 6139, is how you set the date, the day date. Like mm -hmm. you have to push the crown in a bit, you know, and then it sets the date. Then you have to push the crown in furthermore, and then it sets the day. Um, but then normally it's hidden. So if you look at the watch from the front, you just see this, as I said, this cushion-shaped case with the two pushers, but barely see the crown. So it's dark gray, bluish dial with white long indexes, white hands, white chronograph hands. And as I said, it came in a, an original bracelet. So it's a pretty cool piece. It's not too big. It's about, I would say, 30, 38, 39, probably 39 millimeters automatic um, column wheel chronograph. But um, I love it and I wear it quite often, actually. So that's that's my pick. Yeah, it's a really cool watch, and and I think for for listeners out there, when you're looking at early Seikos, if they're if they're a chronograph like your sixty one thirty nine, or even just the automatics, when when they sport that hidden crown, this was really Seiko going off and telling you you really didn't need to touch that crown very much, other than to set the time because that movement wasn't hand winding; it was you know shake it to get it going, and the uh, yep. 
the so-called magic lever, which allowed for winding in both directions when that rotor spun, was was a very efficient, um, we'll call it invention, but a, an innovation that they launched earlier that decade. So it's a it's a little bit of a tell on whether your your Seiko hand winds or not. And the I, I actually own the sixty one thirty eight dash three double o two, which is the jumbo, and that's that's really stylistically a pretty similar watch. Um, oh yeah, I have that too. Yeah, so so they look very yeah. very similar, and I think they're very restrained designs for Seiko at the time. So they're not you know super colorful or funky. I mean, they don't look quite Swiss. They do look quite Seiko still, but I think they're perhaps more pleasing to those who are used to traditional styles from Switzerland. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I have the Jumbo as well, and it's to me that's a bit too big because it almost feels it contemporary. Towers. Yeah, and it's tall yeah, too, which, right? Yeah, and yeah, it is tall, and it's I would say how big is that? Forty one, forty two, even maybe. I don't yeah, know. It's pretty yeah. big, pretty substantial. Also came on a bracelet. I don't like that bracelet as much as I like this one, and it's like a a, a two sub registers. One's at twelve, and one's at six. Um, that feels, as I said, too contemporary. So I like when a vintage watch not only looks but feels in terms of size vintage. So um, that's not my favorite, but I also I also enjoy that quite a lot. But this is really a um, quite a special piece to me. So yeah, yeah, that's my pick. What what are you what are you rocking today? Um, so so I'm I'm not wearing a chronograph, despite the um, title of our episode and the focus. I'm actually wearing a watch that I got over the Christmas period, and I I was fortunate enough. I, I this, this happened very quickly, but one of our friends, Jeff. Um, from New Jersey. He, uh, was, I guess, um, yeah, looking to buy something else. And, and he reached out to me and knew that I had always had interest in his Gruen o- ocean chief, um, which is a, a pretty unique model from around 1960 with a, what we call a stadium bezel, much like the Breitling super ocean from a few years before. He knew I always liked that watch, and it's something that I've sort of casually been been on the lookout for. But generally, when you find them, they're either missing the bezel or they're just in bad condition. And he just happened to have a very lovely one with a um, kind of the original beads of rice bracelet. And he shot me a note, and I said, yep, I, I want to do it. I, I really like uh, buying a watch uh, if I if I know who's owned it and if it's been taken care of versus you know going out and doing it blindly and yeah we made it happen so I'm wearing that today and just for uh, the listeners if this does come out on a Sunday the watch is featured by Uptime Watch so my watch is on there and their lazy Sunday video series um, so if you follow him on cool. Instagram yeah he does these really cool videos of the hand yeah. moving around and yeah yeah awesome so, so he's doing something different this year he's uh, putting three watches against each other and you have to vote on one and he'll do the full video I guess the following week so this one is up against a Enicar Sherpa graph and a Tavernier. Uh, with the uh, little airplane on the dial, so kind of a flight chronograph, and we'll see if it if it makes it to its own feature length video. But I'm I'm pretty excited about the watch, and I thank Jeff for for reaching out. Uh, it's a 
It's a unique piece, and as I will probably never own an original Breitling Super Ocean because the prices are multiples of this uh, this watch, then I'm very happy to have this one. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece, it's, and it's pretty large, right? I mean, the bezel makes it. I don't know how big the case is from, you know, from the case side, the case back side, but from the front, uh, the bezel kind of makes the watch pop and like zoom in quite a lot. Is it a Bakelite bezel or aluminum? No, it's it, it's aluminum, but um, and and I, it actually uses the same bezel as the Breitling. Interestingly enough, the case is okay. similar, but it's different. So it's I want to say the case is around thirty six millimeters underneath, but yeah, with that bezel, it's bordering on forty up top. So mm-hmm. it looks it looks um, very wearable and actually like a a very pretty case. It's it's got a lot going on there. So. You know, it's one of these, <laughs> we, we always like to pick out these watches where, you know, you look at a brand and you say, wow, that's very, very different from everything else they were doing. And it's just kind of a, an aberration. And for Gruen, I mean, not a, not a bad brand by any means, but I think most people, when they think of them, think of like 1940s Curvex watches and not a whole lot in the fifties and sixties. And, um, yeah. this is, this is a bit of a standout. So. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful watch. All right, so nice pick. Yeah, thanks. So so moving on, let, let's talk a little bit of news. And and we decided because uh, RJ and Rob did a a full episode on the whole new Speedmaster release that we wouldn't take up a ton of time with it. But I think as we are big Speedy fans, and you'll probably hear some Omega talk later when we get to vintage chronographs. I I think it's only fair that that I ask you and and we talk a little bit about. What, what do you think about the new Speedmaster releases? I love them. Um, maybe not everything, but I love the look. I love the new bracelet. I heard some comments, people saying, oh, it's boring. You know, Omega hasn't really changed much. Okay. Well, did Rolex change last year with the Submariner? <laughs> um, so I think it was a very, I mean, whatever happened to, uh, to the watch was quite interesting. The bracelet, the bezel. I'm not sure about the dial. I think it's it was nice when both dials looked the same, but I understand why Omega changed the the dial on the sapphire, and it had the applied it has the applied logo while the Hasselite has the paint uh, yeah, the painted or the printed logo, and the new movement is just great. I think this was the next logical step for the 1861 to become the 3861 and have you know the added. First of all, the longer uh, power reserve, the anti-magnetic protection, as well as the chronometer certification or the meta certification. So all in all, I quite like them. I haven't seen them yet, but what I've seen and what I've read, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty smitten by them. Price-wise, well, that's always obviously um, up for debate, and you know whether that's a good decision or not. Uh, a lot has changed with the watch, so I see why it has to go. Um, now over uh, 6,000 for the Hasselite and pushing seven for the Sapphire. Another question, though, is if that price segment changed because it was below five, now it's above six, way above six, way above five, obviously, if that would have an impact on, you know, the potential buyers or, or their, they say, mm, you know, it's 6K, I might as well buy whatever, something else for seven or eight. Because four and a half or four point seven versus six point one is, I think it's a big or four point nine in the end in Germany, it's a it's a big step forward. 
but all in all i'm 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 very happy with them and i can't wait to to check them out what, what about you what do you think yeah i'm 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 with you i really really like the updates uh, you know this was um people have spoken about it but maybe not referred to it so directly as really a descendant or or hearkening back to the what is it the 105012 right so really the first that's the 321 yeah, so really the first twisted yeah. lug, um, well, the first professional, right? And first watch on the moon. And, <clears throat> you know, everything from the step dial to the dot over 90 bezel, the the, the shorter pusher caps, uh, all this, all this uh, looks back to that watch. And look, I really, really like the updates. I think the the only thing I'd like to see in person before making my mind up is sure that the font, you know, the text, how they've sort of changed the scaling of Speedmaster Professional, but I've seen it in various angles because we've got all kinds of live shots on the site and it really doesn't bother me. Um, and, you know, I've always been very, very clear that the bracelet for me was such a big deal to change. And I think using this new movement really puts it in league with, you know, a lot of other watches that it's competing with if you if you really look at the Speedmaster Professional as as a watch that goes out and and truly competes with other you know pieces from Zenith, Breitling, even even Rolex. So but you know the pricing I I I guess I get the complaint a bit, but on the other hand, I always question, you know, when people are spending five thousand plus on a watch, um you know, six thousand. I'm not. I'm not saying that a thousand dollars or euros or whatever currency you're talking about is nothing. I'm, I'm certainly not. But um, it just feels like such a a strange discussion to try to associate these things with absolute value because the sum of the parts and everything, you know, that that doesn't add up from a material perspective and. You know, you're then sitting back trying to grade uh, a watch company on the effort they put into it or what it actually cost them to do something. And I think that these are aspirational purchases or they are purchases of something you want. And I just I still think that, you know, trying to assign an exact value to some of these things is 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 pretty tough. And and I do feel like they they really did bring a step up in terms of finishing and materials and movement. So, you know, whether that's exactly worth that price difference, I don't know, but you know, the, the other thing is that, okay, unless you're going to an Omega boutique, um, if you're dealing with a, you know, a, a, a third party AD, uh, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of wiggle room or discussion possibility. So I, I still think it's a, a, a pretty darn good deal when you compare it to a lot of other watches on the market. So I, I sure. And, and sure. And look, especially if you consider what, what's up, what's been upgraded, I think. Yeah. And you know, what, what else are, are you really going to compare this to if you're looking at iconic chronographs? I mean, all the others are automatic chronographs and they're more expensive um, or they're not as, faithful design wise to you know their lineage so i still think it it undercuts a lot of other watches um it's gonna fit beautifully and i think it's just that kind of watch that you look down at your wrist and it's always gonna look good so 
Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you. Like when when people say it didn't change enough, I mean, I don't I don't know what folks are expecting. I think, you know, and then of course a couple of precious metal pieces came out, which I think are also gorgeous. They are incredibly expensive, um, but I, I guess that's not a surprise. Um, I, I don't know what else I really would have wanted out of this two, two steel models, and I do like that they differentiated the sapphire piece a little bit versus the uh, Hesolite. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Let's see how the community will react. I mean, I love them, as I said. I love both of them. I would still go with the Hesolite. Yeah. I'm not really um, an, an, a Sapphire um, guy, and I have the old one, so that while well, now a discontinued or soon-to-be-discontinued model with the big box and the, the gadgets and things inside. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm I'm happy happy about that, but um, listen. Speaking of new watches, um, we have something interesting to talk about when it comes to Fratello. Again, it, it seems that every not every month, but almost every second episode we talk, there's uh, there's something coming from Fratello when it comes to watches. So why don't you fill us in regarding this new watch? Yeah, sure. So similar to what uh, occurred late last year, and I think, yeah, probably just due to the events going on last year, we 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 have this, the announcement today kind of following hot on the heels of last year's. But last year, we, we uh, were fortunate enough to have 50 European limited edition Seiko Prospect Prospects uh, Alpinists, and I put Alpinists in quotes because it's not the official name, but it's it's what everybody calls them. Uh, we had the 2020 version, uh, so we had 50 pieces a couple of weeks before they went on general sale in the European market uh, with a with kind of a blue gray dial. And this past week, we announced uh, 35 pieces of the 2021 European limited edition model, and. Now, Seiko calls it a, what do they call it? Like a mountain uh, sunset, but it's it's a gray dialed alpinist, basically. And really, I think a, a really attractive dial color. Uh, those 35 pieces are gone uh, by the time you hear this, but here again, they'll, they'll be on uh, general sale through the boutiques here in the next couple of weeks. And I think what's exciting here, at least for me, because I I ordered one, is that you had your hand in it again uh, on the bespoke Fratello strap. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, actually, we had our hands in it because I well I was asked to help out with the strap again, and I was happy to do to that. But I also needed some input, and I think you, I kind of collected some ideas, uh, straps and colors and things like that, and you were the one that I showed those uh, ideas uh, over. And um, so it was my input as well as yours and a few other guys, but um, it was interesting to see what the others say because we were in a, in a chat talk or an email chain, I can't remember, talking about it. And in the meantime, I messaged you, and then you said this color. And it was actually the same one that I picked, and actually the same color that most of the guys in the in this chat or call or, or, or email chain picked. And that was, again, um, just like before with the other model, as you mentioned, we had a uh, suede strap, suede leather strap. Last time it was gray that matched the, the dial quite well. And this time we had a bit of 
or at least I thought I have a bit of an issue because the dial color, this gray color, as you mentioned, is quite special. It looks gray, but in certain angles, it looks bluish or this metal bluish. So it was very difficult. And we thought of a bunch of colors. We thought about dark blue. We thought about olive green and everything else like that. And in the end, we found this sand color, I would say, or like a very, very light cream sand color suede leather. So we went with that one. And I think it's a beautiful addition to the... Uh, it only comes with one strap now. The last time it came with two straps. Now the watch comes with one strap. I mean, it comes on a strap, obviously, with a pin, an alpinist pin, and the Fratello uh, strap. And the first time there's a special Fratello buckle on the strap, which I have to say, I, I'm a strap guy, but I almost like the buckle better than I like the strap. Oh, very cool. Um, it's, it's really a beautiful buckle. And I think it fits the strap perfectly. It's just a suede, uh, as I said, a sand color suede strap with like stitching all around it. Meanwhile, the Psycho strap is a dark coffee brown with side stitching, vintage side, side stitching. So it's the perfect combination. I think the dark coffee brown and this light sand color on this gray dial just looks um, just perfect on the watch. So um, yeah, that's the story. Yeah, no, I I, I think um, you, you did a great job again. I mean, I appreciate you reaching out for feedback, but you know, you brought together some really good choices, and I think the best one won out. And I've gotten a lot of feedback on on that strap. You know, once again, people are asking, "How do we get that? Uh, how do we get that strap separately?" So, yeah, I think you have a. I, I think you have a uh, a future Balash and uh, oh yeah, pairing. strap design. <laughs> yeah. So well done there. Thank you. Well done there. Thank so you. so bottom line, if you're interested in this Seiko, which by the way is reference SPB 201J1 called the Mountain Sunset, you should check in your uh, European Seiko boutique, either online or in store, if, if, if stores are open in your area in the next couple of weeks, and you should hopefully be able to find one. Yes, sir. So moving on, um, one last piece of news here, and uh, we won't spend a ton of time on this. We'll actually turn uh, a part of this discussion into a future episode, I think, on you know, scarcity, whether it's uh, artificial, purposeful, uh, whatever. But the Ming 27.02 dropped this past week, and... This is the last of their 27 series of watches, which are ultra thin at 6.9 millimeters thick and featured uh, feature hollowed out lugs. And these are, are, are really dressier watches. They use a an EDA 7001 based movement that is really highly modified by Schwartz Etienne and uh, Ming announced, um, I guess, a couple hundred of these, and they are doing it through three different sale periods, two of which have already passed by the time you hear this, and one which will commence on the 22nd of January. And it's a pretty neat watch with a all-sapphire dial and a guilloche pattern uh, underneath uh, by using like a, a stamped brass ring with uh, blue coloring and it, it creates quite the optical illusion. And I have to say, Balash, I broke down and I ordered one of these. So <laughs> what's the damage on this one? It's expensive. So it's um, 
4,950 Swiss francs. So Mm -hmm. about a thousand, well, exactly a thousand more than the 27.01, which features a, an all black dial. That's I I believe a mix of, of brass and, and sapphire. So the, the dial here is what's at work. Um, and what is, is adding that premium, but I've been, I've been on the lookout for a, a dress watch for some time. And I've really gone back and forth on a number of different things. There, there've been a couple grand Seikos. I really like the one that, uh, Gerard owns with the white dial. And then there's a gray dialed, uh, piece with a bracelet from the elegance collection that has the power reserve on the, um, on the dial. And that's a manual wine movement, but this just really did it for me. And mm. unfortunately I won't get it till November, but I, I hope to get my hands on a prototype here in the next month and we'll do a, do a hands-on article. But I've really been impressed with, with all the pieces that I've, I've handled from them and I, I own the diver and I really, really enjoy it. In fact, I, I've been wearing it almost nonstop since uh, the last uh, month or so. So I'm excited about it. And I, I think, um, as mentioned, we'll, we'll talk about Ming a little bit, um, as part of a, of a greater subject on, on watches that are difficult to find and kind of the whole, um, scarcity phenomenon that's happened around a lot of popular watches. So we'll, we'll talk about that more, but, but I'm excited about this watch and, and I think, um, they do really pretty unique work. Yeah, indeed. I mean, as you said, probably the next podcast we're going to record is going to be about this topic. And um, regarding the watch, I, I quite like it. I like this Clou de Paris Kyoshi, as you said, on the dial, the outer rim of the dial. And um, it's just a nice piece overall. I like how the strap fits to the case. I like the case shape, I like the simple design. And um, also on the dial, you don't really see much there. The Ming is hidden at the three o'clock position, almost like an index. So it's I think this is probably what independent or or, or luxury or a, a lot of the uh, independent watch companies or brands do, do these days. The simple, clean, elegant uh, dial, not much on it, not even a brand name or a very subtle brand name. Um, it's a pretty cool design. So I, I'm really looking forward to your review and, and hopefully we'll be able to to meet up to, to check out your watch. As I told you last time, at least the diver, if this won't be with you yet or um the the prototype anymore but yeah it's a neat piece and um speaking of neat pieces i think it's time to jump on the on the topic of the podcast today's topic three vintage chronographs absolutely and as we as we kick things off we mentioned that this is really our favorite genre of of watches and both of us are really into vintage and i think we kind of cut our teeth on vintage chronographs and we've, I wouldn't say moved on from there because we're, we're still interested, but we've, we've added our, our share of GMTs and divers and other types of watches. But I think we always go back to chronographs as some of our favorites. I, you know, there's, there's a lot going on with these watches and I think that the best ones somehow manage to, to pull that off without making a mess of a watch. And then of course you've got some really, really, classic movements that that go into some of these um vintage pieces and you know you're you're a little bit uh different than I am you you go back uh further than I generally do I tend to stick around in the 60s but you've really spanned the decades and 
I'm always kind of in awe of, of some of the really, really cool pieces you find, especially with some, some Hungarian heritage, uh, military heritage with some of them and just the, the neat stories you've been able to, 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 to fashion after some of these, these watches and, and, and things you've found out. So I'm, I'm excited about this topic. And I, I think with that, you know, I, I would ask you to, to roll out your first one. Okay. Well, first of all, indeed, uh, thanks for the compliment. And, and I, yeah, I don't know why I go back to the fifties and forties and, and early sixties. I guess it's just the design and, um, that I like about those watches. And I like bigger watches. I have, as you know, a much larger wrist than you do and 34 35 millimeter watches look a bit stupid on me or more so i i thought but then i realized that if it's a chronograph and if you dress it up with a nice strap it, it actually works because most of those watches or a lot of those watches from that time are pretty small but um yeah so i i brought three pieces um that i have in my collection that i quite enjoy to, uh, let me see one of or mm, yeah two of them I guess one comes from the 40s, one from the 50s, although it was made in the late 40s, and one from the early 70s. And let me kick off then with the Hungarian uh, military heritage one, and that's the Angelus 215. Mm -hmm. I have um, two of these watches, and um, I'm quite amazed by the brand. Uh, It's, well, when I, you know, discovered Angelus, I discovered the model, and then I realized that there's a connection to the Air Force, which obviously was the added bonus to me. But I liked the watch. I liked how it looked. It reminded me of of those uh, Zenits from the same era, which, funnily enough, were given to, I think, Yugoslavian Air Force pilots. But the simple 38-millimeter round case, pump pushers, a larger crown, and a rather busy dial, I would say. So it was a black, obviously black gear dial. So it was just a perfect uh, chronograph. You know, if you change the logo, you could and and remake this model. You could sell it as one of those uh, budget brands that um, you know release watches based on vintage design because it really is the perfect vintage chronograph design, as far as I'm concerned. And so this one is that I have in my hand is a military watch, but it's without the inscription on the back. Because back in the day, um, not only the Air Force, but other areas of the military used this watch and not everything was inscribed. So this one actually comes um, from an old, um, an estate of an old um, gentleman who used to be in the army. I don't really know much about him because the story is a bit more complex than that. I think I've written about um, how I got the watch. On Fratello, what basically somebody um, found this watch in, a, not in an attic, but in a cellar. And with a lot of military medals and 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 um, ID cards and ID books, and that's how we could connect the watch to the to this gentleman. And you know, it's a two fifteen, as I said, a caliber two fifteen movement, which is an in house movement by Angelus. That's the one that's the two seventeen chrono dato movement is based on. That has an added triple calendar function, so that's also chronograph with the three uh, date uh, indication: day, date, and month. And the 216 is a simplified version of the 215, and that's a time-only watch. So that's my first piece, and I really love it. As I have, I as I said, I have two of these. I, I own one with an LE, uh, uh, Legi Area, so Air Force marking, and I own this one as well without the marking. And I think they're just you know great watches, um, beautifully made, 
not too pricey. I think you can get one without the marking around twenty five hundred to three thousand. With the marking, it's probably a bit more, but they're still not that bad. And they're thirty eight, so rather large. You can wear them, you know, even with a t shirt because the size is pretty modern. So uh, yeah, that's my that's my first pick. I think you know the watch; you've seen it before. And there's going to be a, a link in the show notes, uh, so anyone can check it out. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good looking classic chronograph, and I've always been tempted by them. I think there's only two things that have, have sort of held me off. Number one, I usually find that that you know the watch that I'm looking at, or or are already interested in it. So I, I usually back off. <laughs> and um, number two, I mean, you, you have stated that with these Angelus movements, um, you do need to figure out um, a service plan on these. This is not a oh, movement yeah. that just everybody can can uh, fix, correct? Yeah, that's true. And um, we have a common friend in here in, in Karlsruhe, a watchmaker, who <laughs> gives me the business all the time when I bring these watches over because he hates them. He hates to work on them. And I never, and I told him, I don't understand if I was a watchmaker, this would be a challenge for me. Like it is, it was a challenge to another friend of ours, another watchmaker Mm. who's in the Netherlands. And he said, send me this watch, which I haven't done it, but he said, send me this watch because I don't know what's wrong with the movement. And I want to check it out. And I said, that's the spirit. That's what I want. (laughs) Um, But it's, as a as a watchmaker, I'm guessing it's really a bitch to service these things simply because they're just, you know, I mean, I'm always wondering how could these watches survive being in those airplanes and these fighter jets in the 40s and 50s, you know, where you can... protection. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with exactly. you. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's that's a valid point. Um, but that's the beauty of it, right? If it doesn't work, you can you have to find someone who fixes it, and then you can wear it, you can enjoy it, be careful with it, put it in a rotation. But it's definitely not bulletproof, not at all. Yeah. So so moving on to my first one, um, this probably won't come as as too much of a surprise if if people know me or have, have heard me speak elsewhere. But I think one of the favorite watches in my entire collection, and therefore really my favorite chronograph. Has to be the the Breitling seven six five Copilot from you know roughly nineteen sixty five to nineteen sixty seven. It's it's known as the Jean Claude Kili because he wore it during the uh, Grenoble Olympics. Um, apologies for my pronunciation there. Um, and this is a watch that I, I I just love because it is so clean and simple. And I think I saw the first one uh, live uh, ever about six, seven years ago. I was at some sort of a uh, used watch fair here in Frankfurt that, that does or did happen a couple times a year, not too far away from me. And I saw one sitting in the case and I was just blown away by how large it was compared to a lot of the other vintage uh, chronographs. It, it comes in at about 41 and a half uh, diameter. It has these very wide 22 millimeter lugs. And, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the watch is pretty notable because it's got this rotating 12 hour bezel where each hour, if you're moving it around, just clicks into place so nicely. And it's, Got a very simple black dial, um, three register with that Venus 178 uh, column wheel movement. And they did a little modification by 
the minute counter is a 15 minute minute counter, which is apparently uh, relevant for a, a pilot who is warming up his plane at the time. And what's neat is that every 30 seconds, um, as that central chronograph moves around, uh, the hand moves around the, uh, the minute counter, uh, moves. So yeah, it's not on the 60 second, it's every 30 seconds. So a little bit of a difference there, you know, bold loom. Um, and, and I just find it to be such a, such a good looking, bold, clean watch. And I've often said that, you know, aside from the, the watches that have some family, uh, importance for me, if I were forced to choose one watch, it would probably be this one. Um, Hmm. (laughs) I, I, I managed to buy this on eBay about, I guess, five, six years ago now. And this was at a time when you could actually find a watch on eBay and think about it for an hour before it was uh, snapped up. And I remember I was I was in Vienna Airport at, at the lounge and I was chatting with Fred Mandelbaum. And I said, Fred, what do you think about this? And he, he just literally told me, he goes, if you don't buy it now, I'm buying it. And uh <laughs> I bought it. So it, um, it was a great, great thing. It, it came out of the U S and, um, I've loved having it ever since. It's really a go-to watch. And I think, um, I hope Breitling does a modern version of this at some point. They did an earlier seven, six, five, but hopefully they, hopefully they do this one as well, because I think most people would really enjoy wearing this as a, as a daily watch. Oh yeah. I mean, when it comes to Breitling, I think if, if, uh, Fred says jump you ask how high right yeah 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 for sure <laughs> so uh, it's it's really a very cool piece I love the the three o'clock sub dial with those loom not dots but a little loom um star indexes almost, yeah. yeah exactly like a star exactly like a star next to the numbers between the the stem the hand stem and the numbers but overall it's a it's a pretty pretty neat watch indeed it's very simple reverse panda dial the the pushers are like poking out of the bezel they're like short almost shorter than the bezel so you can like barely see them it's a very it's a very very nice watch i think it's a lovely piece and it looks so um so 60s isn't it if you look at the the hoyers and you know a bunch of other brands universal genevs and stuff like that they they had very similar watches but they also this i mean you you look at them and they look similar but they also distinct if if you you know zoom on the watch but I think that was the beauty of this era when it comes to design, that they all look the same in the grand scheme of things. But once you focus on the watch, the details you know, are different. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful yeah, piece. And, 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 you know, we talked about, <clears throat> we mentioned that, you know, your, your collection really spans the decades, whereas I have a, a strong focus on the 60s. And for me, you know, that that more technical or focused, fierce design, I get a brutal, brutal design, I guess, is, is, uh, what I think of in the sixties about cars and everything else. Whereas the fifties, you have a lot of post-war and sometimes things, sometimes things are a little more, um, cartoonish isn't the right word, but you know, that they, they have, you know, much bigger sub dials or just, you know, the, the, the things are a little more swoopy sometimes. And, um, I don't know why I identify with the sixties is probably the, the, because it's the period of cars I, I, I like so much. Uh, but yeah, they, they, these, these watches, you're, you're right. They, they look very much of the time. So, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's my, that's my first pick. It's a nice pick. So my second one, speaking of bold and uh, late sixties design is the 
Omega Speedmaster Mark II Racing. Ooh. So I had a Mark II. 2008, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a, a train wreck. It was a normal Mark II. I got it as a as a train wreck. It had like a broken crystal and things like that. And I had it refurbished by um, a company which was actually an Omega certified service center back in the day. So they had all the lapping machines and things like that. And they, they you know, redid the watch back then and it looked completely new. And at the time, uh, as I said, 2008, 9, 10, that was a thing, right? I remember being on Watch You Seek Forum, the Omega Forum, and everybody was posting their flight masters and this and that I, that came back from Switzerland with the service case and, you know, this big bag of parts removed and all the service parts. And everybody was so proud of it. I look at it now, 10 years later or even eight years later, you know, everybody was like, no, I want I want the dirty pushers and the, the gunk under the, the crown and I want the, <laughs> the scratch crystal. So anyways, that watch was, when, it, when I received it, it was perfect, but it was too perfect. So I sold it. And I always liked this this um, this cushion shaped design. As you said, you're you're really focusing on the sixties, and I was not really focusing in any era. But I realized that, despite the fact that this, this cushion shape is more from the late sixties or seventies, I have quite a few watches with this with this case shape, and not particularly my favorite. But but I just I like the the simplicity of it, like the hidden lugs, and you could add whatever strap you wanted to them. And so I always missed the, the Mark II. And I don't know if you already had yours or it was at the, around the time, uh, but then this one came up for sale mm-hmm. and it came from one of our friends um, um, from Germany who um, who's a watch guy slash dealer and he has another hobby that's connected to stuff things. So uh, you know who I'm talking about. So um, it came from him or through him. And I I love the watch, you know. It I, I like the fact that it looks like a Speedmaster, but it's not. It looks like a Mark II, but it's obviously it is, but it's not because it has this funky orange, uh, gray, red um, dial, and also the hands. Um, I think it's the it's kind of the the best of both worlds when it comes to special Speedmasters in a classic nineteen late sixties early seventies case. Obviously, you have the same movement, the 861 inside, like you would have in a normal Speedmaster. And I think I don't have to, you know, persuade you because obviously you also have one. So, uh, you know, the drill. So that's my that's my my second pick as my second favorite. I don't quite like it on the bracelet, I have to say, because, you know, the last links of the bracelet kind of uh, are wider than the the link that actually... Um, the end link basically that go that that attaches the bracelet to the case so it, it kind of looks weird to me but on the strap it's it's just perfect it's a hand-wound movement obviously as all 861s are and it has a this pobble color but classy case or this this vintage-esque 70s case yeah i think it's a lovely watch and anybody who wants to get into speedmasters and you don't want to spend four, five, six, ten grand on a vintage Speedmaster, or you want something else. I think the Mark series, especially the Mark II, maybe even the Mark Four and, and Five, uh, is something to consider. Mark Three is is a chunky piece, but definitely the Mark II is something that you should you should think about. Yeah, I, I um, I'm with you. I think the Mark II, you know, it's forever going to be sort of the underappreciated piece, you know, because exactly. it, it just looks of the of the 70s era with that C case but you know I said in an article I wrote about it that 
if you really look at it and, and, and we don't know the exact story, but you know, this watch is far more <laughs> apt for, for example, space travel, you know, there's less to, less to catch, um, Right. things on and i and i think the the original alaska projects we've seen those prototypes were were basically uh spot on with this so the, and i guess that's a consensus isn't it sorry to to cut you off isn't it like that's that's why they use the case yeah or at least that's what that's what i i heard that that's the reason exactly why they use this case because it's um yeah it was just just um i guess maybe sturdier or it wouldn't get damaged as, as easily as a, as the old case. Yeah. And, and I, I think it looks fantastic and you're right for the price. It's just unbelievable. I mean, if, if we were talking about <clears throat> best uh, bargain vintage chronographs, I, I think this would easily rank in the top five because you're getting all the quality that you'd expect out of an Omega. Um, you've got some neat history there. Like you said, a racing dial. Um, we know that a normal Speedmaster professional with a racing dial from the, from that period is just untouchable. So it has really a lot of, of, of traits that, that should make it more valuable than it is. But thankfully, um, it's accessible for people. I mean, obviously, like you said, finding, finding a good one isn't as simple as it used to be. And the days are long gone that they were a thousand or 1200 euros, but you know, budget 2000 to 2,500. Um, and I think you can find something really, really wearable. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Cool. No, I agree. I agree. So what's your second pick? So my second one, you know, you, you spoke about it before about how a lot of these watches from the sixties have a similar style. And this is, um, probably just me because I, I, again, like this theme, but the other one I, I really enjoy is the, uh, Hoyer Otavia 2446, which is known as the Jochen Rent. And, this watch um, is like a 37 millimeter case somewhere in that range has these um, kind of slender lugs with these really, really cool chamfers that, you know, if you're looking for one, it's, it's really wise to hold out until you find one with these, these razor sharp edges. And it also has a rotating bezel that came in a number of configurations. I happen to have a, um, a minutes uh, bezel. There's an hour one, and I believe there's um, something else that I'm forgetting as well. But um, th this is, a, I think, just a really classic looking chronograph. It's it's outfitted in in the 2446 with a three register, uh, the Valjoux 72, which is probably the most well known classic. Uh, column wheel chronograph movement from the period. Um, it's it's notable for having that lower pusher further away from the crown than than the top one, and you know due to its um, its commonality, it's it's fairly easy to service and it's a good runner. Uh, mine ne mine needs a service, but you know in this watch, I just. <laughs> I just always really liked how how well everything comes together and in fact how well proportioned everything is. Um I like it better than the early Otavias which are are significantly more valuable because I enjoy the size of subregister, the hands and how the bezel to case relationship works out. Um and uh, you know 
it's it's a watch that unfortunately when I started looking for it and finally found one, which is a I think was in the same week as I found that Breitling, you know, prices had already gone up significantly. That this was like a twenty five hundred dollar watch forever and a day, and then you know overnight they went up by three times, and now yeah they're expensive, but. Mm. It, it's it's a neat watch in the sense also that if you put it next to a period Daytona, um, you're looking at the same thing. You know, a Singer dial, very very similar hour indices, and still a fraction of a cost of a of a Daytona. <clears throat> um, you know, Rolex would tell you, yeah, they they did some more finishing and and adjusting of the movement, but you know, for for our purposes, they're very similar. And I and I. Wouldn't say it's inexpensive, um, but yeah, I love the watch. Love the watch. Mm. Yeah, I like them. These ones um, more than I like the the vintage. I mean, the for sorry, the the very early ones, as you said. The dial looked kind of busy. Where the sub, and this is also reverse panda, right? And the white sub dials almost touch uh, each yeah. other. Yeah, they're and huge. The big, big, yeah, big triangle hands, kind of looks almost gimmicky i have to say um but these ones are are nice they're beautiful watches and of course as you said very similar to the breitling but then then again this is what i said like if you look at the breitling or if you wear the breitling on one wrist and the hoyer on the other wrist one could think that you wear the same watch but if you stop for a second and look at the watch you immediately see the difference that they they really uh, not only two different um, models but they also two different brands and I'm really not too deep into Hoyer. I think I only have one, and that's actually a cushion. <laughs> Funnily enough, a cushion shape. Okay, a case uh, Montreal, which is also connected to the Hungarian Air Force. That's how I have it. But those those watches that Hoyer did back in the day are obviously legendary, and I enjoy seeing them in in movies. Speaking about Jochen Rind, obviously was a, a race car driver. So if you watch, uh, you know, Ford versus Ferrari, there's, there's obviously the watch is not this watch, but obviously the watch on um, uh, Matt Damon's wrist, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's pretty cool to 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 see them in in pop culture and and see them in movies and how um, those productions pay attention to these little details um, about watches and or for example, um, obviously a bit of a side story, but the you know the the vintage Daytona you talked about vintage Daytonas how there was a there's a vintage Daytona featured in Crazy Rich Asians. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Nope. <laughs> um, there's a scene. There's a scene where a lady um, gifts her husband a, a, a vintage Daytona, and that vintage Daytona came through our mutual friend Eric Wind. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, so these things are 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 pretty cool because they they could have just you know they, it was in Singapore, right? They could have gone out and get whatever Daytona or or Richard May whatever they wanted, but they went for an authentic piece. And I don't know if actually the watch that Ma- uh, Matt Damon was wearing in. Ford versus Ferrari was authentic, was the vintage piece. I'm, I'm really not that deep into that, but I like this uh, this connection. And this watch, the Jochen Rind watch, it, I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, race car uh, legend, and uh, it's forever, I guess, connected to that era through and through. Yeah, yeah. And if you watch Ford versus Ferrari, which is a great movie, uh, it... it- mm-hmm. You know, you do really get the feeling of this whole grassroots building cars in a garage, whether it was Shelby or Ferrari. You know, these were really, you know, not sophisticated um, operations like today. And these watches were all a part of that. And it takes you back a little bit to to that time. It was a unique period. 
for sure. Exactly. I mean, probably there's somebody at, at I don't know, Ford or Ferrari wearing the same watch today, but they're, they're wearing a very expensive suit and sitting in an office. Yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, not, not under a car with a, the greasy hand. Absolutely. Right. That's a, it's a, it's a great watch. Beautiful. Um, so my last one uh, from my collection is a watch from the 40s. It's a small case, a 35-millimeter small case uh, steel. And this is the Le Mania 27 Crow. Ooh, beautiful. Which is a very interesting watch. Thank you. Which is a very interesting watch because, as we know, the, the history of Le Mania, Tissot, and Omega connected. So you can find this watch with the same case, with obviously the same movement, with the same hands, and pretty much the same dial from Omega, from Tissot, and from Le Mania. So I have one from Omega, which is in Switzerland with one of our friends still. Uh, hopefully we'll be, I'll get, back, uh, get that watch back soon. And the reason I bought the Le Mania is because it, it looked exactly this, like the, the Omega. The Omega has a black dial, and this one is, it used to be cream, and now it has this, this very um, strong caramel brown, um, probably due to the indexes or just aging. But I did a TBT article on that, so you know, it's always, it would be in the show notes. And as I said earlier, this is a small piece. This is 35. And I thought that, yeah, you know, I could only wear a 35 on a bunt strap or something like that. It kind of visually, you know, blows the watch up or maybe on a NATO strap. But I put in a leather strap and I quite enjoyed how small the watch is and how well it, it sits on my wrist. And this is um, the Lemania 27 Crow movement is the um, the base of the 321 or the 321 is, is a, um, well, based on the 27 Crow and then the 861 is based on the 321. So this is the, I guess we could say the grandfather of, uh, of Omega Speedmaster Chronograph movements. Yeah, and... and- Omega actually did that gold uh, piece, calling it the twenty-seven crow, right? When True. it was sort of the anniversary of that of that movement. True, exactly. So it's a three three sort of register chronograph, you know, pump pushers again, and it, it's just a neat piece. It's nothing fancy, nothing special. You have a a, a tachymeter scale printed on the dial, but other than that, you know, thirty minutes uh, minute counter, uh, twelve hour counter, and the, and the continuous sixty second hand on the, at the nine o'clock position but it has this sword hands this huge sword hands that that are that you don't see in the 50s anymore right or maybe in the early 50s but i would say sword hands that was a typical 40s or late 30s 40s move yeah so and they're very hard to find because the loom uh, usually falls out or the radium uh, falls out this one has the original in it so it's a small piece uh, not particularly expensive um, i would say Probably fifteen hundred, two k. I'm not even sure, but um, but once you can find it um, in a good in good condition, whether that's a Lemania or a Tissot or an Omega, especially Omega is more expensive. Um, it's just a, a a very very nice watch to have. I think in, with with great history, both for the case or, or the or the brand as well as the movement. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a it's a beautiful piece as well, and a, and also a really unique piece of history, like you said, with the movement. So. I think for for people who love their Speedmasters and and are starting to get into the 321 because it's been re-released, this is really, like you said, where where it all began. Yeah, 
Yeah, indeed. indeed. So what's your last one? So my last one is, um, yeah, probably one, one of us were, yeah, I had to bring up a, a traditional speed master. You brought up the Mark II, but I, I own a, a 145.012, which is the, the second generation uh, twisted lug professional. So it followed up the 105.012 after a couple of years of production there. And you know, I bought this watch um, a few, well, probably about five years ago now. I, I got it kind of in similar <laughs> time period that I bought my my Ed White, and I've gone back and forth on which I like better. But you know, the Ed White to me fits my wrist very, very well. It's a thirty nine millimeter case, whereas the uh, uh, the one forty five oh twelve uses the the forty two millimeter case we we know and love. Um, but when I put that watch on with its 1039 bracelet, um, I look down and it's, it's just such a great watch and it, it, you know, I hate to, I hate to sound cliche here, but it, it gives me the same feeling as when I put on a kind of a vintage, uh, Submariner, you just look down and and you're like, man, they just, they nailed everything with the watch. And Mm -hmm. It truly is, you know, one of those watches that goes with everything. And, you know, whether you walk into, you know, some watch meetup or or some some meeting we go to with people wearing, you know, two hundred thousand dollar watches or whatever, it always feels like if you're wearing an old Speedmaster, you're never out of place. You know, not right. not that not that that's yeah. what our uh, life goal is to to make sure we're not out of place, but it just feels like such a credible watch and um, the size also, you know, like you, you think that this case debuted, I guess in what 65, right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, watches of that size were not that common. Of course you had like Breitling and, and maybe a couple other things above 40, but this wasn't, this wasn't a common thing. And wow. For them to have released something at that time that, I, I even think, you know, I, I really wonder had it not landed on the moon, how it would be regarded, but the case, it just works and it just works well today. So yeah. I love that. I love that watch and it, it, it has a 321 in it, which was kind of something that I had wanted. Um, you know, the 321 is, is a column wheel movement. It's, it's very nice and smooth to use. It is not a fun one to get serviced anymore. So you know, you've got a, a pre-moon that, that has the 861 in it. And by far, if you're looking for a watch that's going to run <laughs> robustly, that that's the way to go. Um, but yeah, I just happened to find this one before pricing got out of hand. Although I, I, I will say with vintage Speedmasters, you know, 321 uh, twisted lug watches, especially the 145.012, you can still find decent ones at a price level that I think is still good compared to what some other watches from that period cost, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what other, other similar Speedmaster models do? Like if you look at an Ed White, if you want a, a nice Ed White and you're looking at 12, 15 and up, if you're looking at 29.98 or even earlier references, 29.15, you're looking at what, 80, 100,000, 20,000, whatever. Um, if you're looking at a, a one four five zero twelve, as you said, you might be looking at seven, eight, nine, de- 
depending on the condition, obviously, and exactly. the watch comes with. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I got one as well. I told you um, mm-hmm. last last year, and um, it's still not with me though. But um, but I have one, and I always I, I always wanted one as well because I have the transitional, which looks like a three twenty one, walks like a three twenty one, walks like a three twenty one, but it's not a three twenty one. So I was always you know in, intrigued partly for the same reason you just mentioned that once you have a watch like that and you walk into a, a get together or a meeting and you have all the Richard Mills and Daytonas and whatever in the world not that they're bad watches because they're not but those guys would jump on your speedmaster wow. sure. and is that okay let me check the bezel oh that's cool that's a note of a 90 bezel and that and that's an applied applied logo oh so it must be before 68 right and you know it's try to quiz and get the, the the age of the watch, and um, I think that's that's part of the fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 again, I I just think that you know if you're someone who likes vintage chronographs, it's pretty hard to not have an older Speedmaster in your collection at some point. And you know, they we 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 talked about the pre moon, the three twenty ones, the transitionals, like the one you have, and. Honestly, I've I've been thinking about picking up a model from the seventies, eighties, or even early nineties with just a, a tritium bezel. I I think um, you know I haven't really followed values on those, but I think they're are well, they gone up? Yeah, I'm sure they've gone up, but I guess probably still in the scheme of things, they're they're still a pretty decent deal if you can find a decent one. And you know, they're again easy to service and probably on a bracelet that that we like better than you know, the most recent one and got that vintage feel, but, but still a, a, a really robust movement. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, you know, my birth year is 1984 and I, from time to time I check out watches from 84 and they are pretty cool in terms of aging. It's mm. they, they kind of aged, but they're not too aged. You know, they have this modern Speedmaster feel, but you already see the, the yellow indexes that slowly, start a turn because when you buy a new speedmaster the indexes are like pretty bright right like bright white absolutely and there you see a bit of aging it's like you see with me <laughs> so um it's already we- there but it's not there yet so so what what is an 80s speedmaster sell for i, I haven't looked in a long time i, was f- I, I think that I, I checked um so i i was checking speedmasters from 1984 specifically but once where you can see that it actually comes from 1984 so there's paper or uh, extract from the archive, something like that. They usually go for around five, six, and up. Yeah, in good condition. Uh, one from like the mid seventies, they're significantly higher. But like mine, uh, my uh, transitional is from eight, six. It was made in sixty eight, sold in sixty nine. So obviously, it's right on the on the brink of changing. So it's quite expensive, but. The last time I checked, it was around seven, eight thousand as well. But from the eighties, I think around five, you can get one, and possibly with with papers um, verifying that that's the actual year the watch came out. Yeah, I'll have to take a look. I mean, they they definitely have gone gone up. I mean, gone are the days where they're three thousand or thirty five hundred dollars. And oh yeah, but I I think you've seen the same thing with. Um, with Rolex, for example, you know, watches from that period, as long as there's tritium on the dial, even if there's a sapphire crystal, they've, they've really started to climb, haven't they? I mean, yeah. I mean, re- you remember when I got my GMT because you helped me get that one, um, uh, my Rolex GMT master from 67. 
and with the price I paid, uh, although that was a, 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 um, a trade involved, but still the price I paid back then, and this is 2016, I think, mm-hmm. compared to today. Yeah, big difference. Big, big difference. 300% increase or something like that. It's insane. And Speedmasters is luckily not there yet. And uh, I, to, you know what? I hope it will never be there. I never get there because it kind of kills the fun, you know? The f- yeah, and and I, and I think that this is what people were complaining a little bit about the brand new one to to kind of bring it full yeah. circle here that that it takes away that sort of democ- democratization of of such a classic watch, but I I still don't think so. And yeah, for sure, like the the watch that you just bought, you know, the the recently discontinued one. I happen to think that for the foreseeable, those are going to still be available you know, new in box or, or barely used at a, at a really reasonable price. And, you know, kind of like we we're talking about a vintage Speedmaster at a watch meetup, you know, even a, even one that's a year or two old, um, that that's still a Speedmaster professional. And that's, that's a, that's a legit watch and there's nothing wrong with it. So, you know, if, if the, yeah. the brand new one or a vintage one is, is a little bit too, um, too expensive for for your taste to then buy a modern one that's it's a year or two old and it's it's a great watch and still is really part of the line you know there's no weird um transitional period where you look at the watch and go oof yeah that's part of the line but they did something really odd there no i mean it's yeah. it's a legit piece so true and you see a part of the club the speedy tuesday club <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah so, well. well well look you know we um we're conscious of of time here and we know we've gone over an hour and and well our our, our discussions on our favorite vintage chronographs well there's a lot of passion behind that and we we took it a little long so we're actually going to come back in in the next episode and you know, we'll hit the news as always and, and perhaps find a, a, another mini topic, but we will talk about a few chronographs uh, that, that each of us would like to add. And maybe that'll be interesting for you just to hear about, you know, hear from hear from a couple collectors who, yeah, are still looking, uh, looking for some things and, and what is uh, what's on our radar. Uh, maybe not actively, but um, something that casually we're, we're always looking out for some things we're, we're always looking out for. So. So, so the, the chronograph wish list. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but it's it's not as easy these days to find things um, either in in great condition or at, at a price we're willing to pay. The, that ship has mostly sailed, although every so often um, you get a little bit lucky or, or find something reasonable. Yeah, that's that's the case, sadly, and I think that uh, you know sometimes people, if they have something, and usually what you're looking for, as you said, watches in original condition and coming from you know estate sales or or somebody you know inherits something, those guys go on Google the watch and then they see the astronomical prices. Some dealers ask for it, and all of a sudden, uh, an eighteen hundred dollar watch is a five k watch without any room for negotiation, and that's. I mean, I follow a few watches on eBay that are that are on my lace list, on my um, what is that, uh, my eBay list, whatever, yeah. for pff, possibly over a year. Yeah, and they just sit there, right? 
and they just sit there and the guy doesn't move like a buck. Yeah. And we, we got in touch with them numerous times, not, not too many, a few watches. And no, that's that's what it owes me. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it's like a 2,500 euro watch. Uh, you know, I'll pay 2K or 2-1, two, 2-2, two, two, whatever the case. But just, just show me that you're interested. No. Okay. So just keep your money tied up for another year. Yeah, it's like um, you used to have it both ways, right? You had like when when prices were really going up, you know, I I think that Galet Decimal was the last time I I got a a really, you know, good deal on a watch. And it it wasn't a steal because the watch definitely needed work, but it was, this was one of these things that had been unearthed from somewhere. And that was cool, but then... For for every one of those, you see a hundred watches that somebody finds a an old Omega in the drawer and they think it's worth five thousand because it says Omega on it. And reality, it's like a thirty four millimeter uh, plated dress watch that's you know has marginal value. <laughs> so, right, but, you know, indeed. When I you do- think about chronographs, Yema comes to mind. Remember those prices? Oh Some yeah, insane, yeah. insane prices. But I guess, you know, a watch is worth whatever is going to pay for it, right? So you cannot blame them for trying, obviously. Um, but there's a difference between realistic prices and, and astronomical stupid asking prices, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and maybe, you know, we can keep our jabbering down to a, to a semi-minimum and we can hit some on our wish list and maybe come up with a couple picks for people out there who want to get into vintage chronographs um but you know either don't don't want to spend or can't spend the crazy money that some of these very popular vintage pieces cost but you know we talked a lot about some some famous movements you know from Lamania, Valjou mm-hmm. and others and as we know a lot of these movements ended up in other brands that maybe aren't as as popular but you still have a lot of uh value and Maybe we can come up with a few of those to to help the listeners to to still get into this this fun hobby and show that it's not uh, completely priced out of of a of a newcomer's reach. Yeah, why not? Let's let's do this the next time when we when we present our top three or four whatever chronograph uh, wish list. Yeah, uh, we can we can also bring some some suggestions. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Let's do it like that. All right. Well, we are going to end things here. And as always, you can reach out to us via Fratello. You can find us on our Instagram uh, pages. I'm Mike in Frankfurt. Balash is on. Get ready. I, I'm I'm F-E-R-E-N-C-Z-I-B-A-Z-S. So Ferenci Bosch on Instagram. Feel free to hit us up with, with any comments. Um, I know, Balash, you mentioned we got a couple last time. And um, yeah. Oh yeah, we had a good, we had a great comment on. I'm uh, sorry to cut you off, Mike. It just came to my mind. I had a great comment on the app last time. We asked you guys because the Fratello app is out, by the way, um, for iOS. If you have any feedback, and we got some great comments, so thank you very much for that. And we're gonna forward it to the relevant departments of the guys um, designing the the app. So as Mike said, if you have any feedback questions. Um, you know constructive criticism just please let us know either on Instagram or via the the comments or emails you you find it on the website alright with that we'll be back soon Frankfurt out and Kostra is out out